10. Did it work? All right. Hopefully this will work tonight. Glad for everybody here this evening. want to say thank you to all the ladies who made cookies and brought them. I got a small subsection of them brought to my house. And, uh, yeah, by the time they were, <laughs> they were left, William ate all the ones he thought were good first. So he left dear old dad a few of the remaining ones, which were still okay. And so, uh, but thank you very much. And all those, hopefully everybody had a good time. I know my wife was saying a lot of folks enjoyed themselves. So that's really what it was about, was uh, to get together and ladies have a chance to fellowship among the saints of God. All right, Hebrews, we're going to be in chapter 10. I introduced the chapter to you last week, and we've got some things to add to it this week. Let us pray. Reverend Tuig, sir, would you please pray over our Bible study and teacher. Amen. Amen. Now, we introduced this to you a little bit last week, but we'll dive in uh, today and get a little bit further, I believe. Um, let's read chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshipers, once purged, should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again, made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. And we're going to go all the way back here to verse 1. Now, we shared with you last week how that if we saw a shadow of a cheeseburger and a milkshake on the wall, we would understand you cannot eat the cheeseburger or drink the, sh the shadow of a milkshake. But the shadow tells us that the reality must be there because you have to have the reality for, there, for it to cast a shadow. So when Paul was writing, he was saying that the law was a shadow. It was something that showed a reality was coming. And so... If you remember, I don't try, I'm trying not to rehash it every week, but the whole theme of Hebrews is Jesus is better. And we're at this point where uh, his blood was better than the blood of bulls and of goats. The new covenant is, Jesus' covenant is better than the old covenant. And so he's likening, Paul's likening these things to the shadow. The old covenant was just a shadow. But the shadow points us that there must be a reality. And he's saying, you should not go back to a shadow. The shadow of an axe does not cut down the tree. You need the reality. Pulling 
the head off of a weed does not get it out of your yard. You have to pull it out by the root. Amen? So he said the law, it was just a hint of the good things to come. It was a shadow, not the reality. The shadows indicate there is a reality, but they are not the reality themselves. The law was not complete, so it could not complete those who followed it. Now think about this. If you sinned in the Old Testament, you had to bring your offering to the priest. He had to make that offering. And then every year, the Day of uh, um, Atonement, there, there was a remembrance of your sins. So the law never took away our sins. Matter of fact, it made us think about them every year. When Christ came, he came to take away our sins, not just to cover them. Now, old, in the um, Old Testament word for atonement is the word kofar, and it means to cover. It means to cover. Now, sometimes the covering is good, sometimes it's not so good. If you have a hole in the ground and you spread a cloth over it to cover it, have you fixed the hole? No, matter of fact, you've made it dangerous for somebody to come by. They step on that, boom, that's a trap, right? Sometimes in construction, uh, there is a problem in the wall, and they will try to cover it with paint. It may last for a little while, but if the problem isn't fixed, then that color bleeds through again, or the crack comes through again. So a covering, in some instances, isn't good enough. It only covers, but it doesn't remove the thing. So the Old Testament sacrifices, all they did was cover it or push it ahead for a year. It was not possible, we're going to see this as we come forward, that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. It just covered, covered, pushed it ahead, covered, covered, pushed it ahead. The law wasn't perfect, so it could not perfect the followers. It wasn't complete, so it couldn't complete us or them, since we were not necessarily under the law. The law, instead of removing awareness of sin, actually made people remember their sin, made them aware of their guilt over and over again. Now, although sometimes people accuse us of legalism, legalism is saying that you've got to do certain things to earn righteousness. Legalism says try harder Instead of trust Jesus. And you can try as much as you want, but you're never going to be able to get sin out of your life by yourself. That's the whole idea of the law. The law showed you that there had to be a covering. There had to be something done with your sin. But the, all the works and the, the blood of bulls and of goats couldn't take it away. It just covered it. There had to be something better. We'll get to that in a second. It was not perfect, so it could not perfect the followers. If it was perfect, there wouldn't need to be a, continually, a continual offering of the sacrifices. Look what he says there. He says, offered year by year continually. Did that work? Hey, it worked. All right. So, going on. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. 
because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. So if the sacrifice worked, they brought it to the, the priest, he offered the sacrifice, the sins are gone, you never have to think of them again. And that really is the ideal for Christianity, for New Testament Christianity. And that is that once my sins have been confessed to Christ, I should forget them in this, in, in this sense. Not that I don't use them as a warning to not sin again, but the fact that I should not allow that guilt to be reasserted onto my life by self-condemnation or by the devil if I have truly confessed it to Christ. My sin is washed away. I should forget about it. God took care of it. I am not to bring it up anymore. The enemy is the one that tr continually tries to reassert it into our life to make us repent of something 37 times. Now, if you repent of something 37 times, 36 times you did it in unbelief. 36 times you didn't believe that God really forgave you. If he really forgave you, then you wouldn't have to continue to repent of it. Now, I'm not talking about continuing. If you, if you sin 37 separate sins, then you have to repent 37 separate times. Amen? But if you, uh, you took uh, Sister Laverne's purse, no, nobody would do this, but you took Sister Laverne's purse last week, and then you brought it back to her, and you were a blessing. You even added $100 to it as you gave it back to her. And you said, Sister, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have taken your purse. And then you went to God and said, God, forgive me for taking Sister Laverne's purse. I gave it back to her. I restored it plus $100 to be a blessing to her. And then uh, God forgave you. And then you come to the next day, you say, Oh, God, I still feel bad about that. Forgive me for stealing Sister Laverne's purse. You're repenting the second time of the same instance. Amen? So one of those times that you prayed, you didn't pray in, in belief, in faith. Because if you prayed in faith, then the sin would be gone. Going on. Because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a, there's that word again, remembrance. Again, made of sins every year, every year. It never took away our sins, it just brought them back, brought them back, brought them back. He's illustrating how ineffective the law was, how it did not do what we needed it to do, and that was to remove sin from us. It just covered it for a year, and it didn't even do, it was only a temporary thing going on. It is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. He said, wherefore, when he, speaking of Jesus, cometh into the world, he saith, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. God wasn't interested in us bringing these things to him. That wasn't the whole purpose. Matter of fact, it wasn't, it wasn't even the blood that the, or the, the, the worth of the animal or the money that they gave. That was what God was after. They were just object lessons. What God was after was for mankind to come to him with a sense of remorse and with a sense of an understanding that something had to be paid for my sin. The blood of bulls and of goats could not take it away. Did you understand that even in the Old Testament, it was faith. It was faith that provided forgiveness. Even in the Old Testament, there had to be faith that if I do what God says to do in bringing this blood, this blood sacrifice of this bull and of goat, and the, and the priest offers it, that God is going to forgive my sins or at least push it ahead for a year. I had to have faith 
So faith, uh, forgiveness in the Old Testament was really based upon the same thing as forgiveness in the New Testament. Had to be by faith. You still with me? He said, sacrifice and offering, now what it's not. That's not what you were after. But a body hast thou prepared me. Now who is, he spe- who is this speaking? This is Jesus. So we think of Christ at Christmas of entering into the world as a baby. But you have to understand that Jesus, the Son of God, was Jesus, God, the Son. Before he was born into this world, he was still God. He was there at the creation. He was there in eternity past. Jesus always was. Now, he first had a body, physical body, humanity, when he was born of the, of the Virgin Mary and he came into this world. But he didn't start there. Look, he's talking before he was born. Amen? He says, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. You and I didn't talk before we were born. Amen? He's talking before he was even born. Going on. And burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Again, the offerings that we do, the things that we do for God, it's, it's not the actual gift that is the big thing for God. Because remember, the, the woman that just had the, uh, the widow's might, she brought that. Jesus praised her. It wasn't the amount. It wasn't the gift. It was her heart. For her, that was all she had. And so she was offering all to God. Hey, this is interesting. If you think about it, whenever we give an offering, so you think about the word, it's an offering. An offering means I bring it to God. He examines it and chooses whether or not to accept it. I offer it to him, but he doesn't have to accept it. Amen? And sometimes I wonder if... if if he looked at the offerings that we presented, if maybe he would, what would be the right way to say this? If, if maybe God is looking for us to offer something according uh, to the stage we are in life. If you're the widow and all you have is the might and you offer that, that God accepted that. We saw that that's what Jesus said because it was all she had. But there might be those of us who are farther along in our stage of life. And if you're still trying to give the widow's might when you've got, you know, your 401k and everything stashed in your bank account and and you're still offering that same might, I'm not sure that that God is going to be pleased with that offering. Amen? All right. Going on. Whoops. Then said I, lo, I come, and the volume of the book is written of me, to do thy will, O God. What was God after? Somebody who would... Obey somebody who would do the will of God. So it wasn't just the offering. It wasn't just the sacrifice. He wanted somebody that would perfectly do God's will. That's a good question to ask yourself as a Christian, whatever stage of life you're in. Because as a Christian, it should be our heart. We want to do the will of God. Amen. And so you have to ask, am I doing the will of God? Sometimes the devil is very good at using us as a tool. And he gets into our thinking and he starts attacking us in our mind. He can do it in a couple different ways. He can get in your mind and he can praise you until your head won't even fit through the doors. You have to come through the, the middle door so they can open up both doors so you can get your head in there, right? You got to comb your hair with a garden rake in the morning because you are so important, right? 
And you walk around like, you know, here am I, and you better not sit in my pew. And, and the Bible said God resists the proud. Well, not only does God resist the proud, but we inherently are, are revolted by those who are conceited and proud. Amen? No one really is drawn to that. Confidence, perhaps, but not pride and conceit. And so the devil uses, what, our own thinking, working against us, blowing us up. What, what, and I think, I don't wanna, it's been a while since I had my Tagalog, but I think it was, Vinny Bolo Moako, you're blowing me up, is that right? Something like that, it's just a joint, I can't remember. But it was like, you're just filling me up. You're blowing me up with all these, these big words, and I'm, I'm this, that, and, and the other. I'm important. Now, God doesn't want us to do that. But then if the devil can't get us to be overly proud, then he attacks us to make us overly um, self-effacing, overly um, uh, defeated. Oh, woe is me. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. And people that that, that way... You know, nobody can help you but you. Now, somebody can come along and say, man, you're, you're quite the brother. Man, I enjoyed Brother Tuig singing that song the other day. Boy, he did a good job of doing this. And, and Brother Tuig, man, you're awesome doing that and doing the other. And I could, I could fill you up for 30 minutes. But you live with yourself 24 hours a day. And so you've got to, you've got to control what goes on up there in your mind. Amen. So if the devil can't push you to destroy yourself by being proud, he can push you to destroy yourself by being uh, discouraged. Uh, uh, um, what's a good word? Clingy. Always needing somebody else to, to pull you up. And that really, that really is a backwards form of pride. Because it's all about who? You. Before it's all about you because, man, I'm so, I am somebody. But if your whole life is thinking about how nobody treats you good and, and I'm the worst and I'm the least and I'm this, that, that's really a backwards form of pride. Now, both of these are solved by one thing, recognizing what Christ did for me. Here's the truth. He said, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Well, guess how many people have done that perfectly? Just Jesus. Amen. Nobody else has. And so nobody can stand here saying, man, I maxed it. I did it. I am, I am God's right-hand man. You can't do that. The Bible said we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Our standing with God isn't dependent upon our wisdom, our money, our skill, our singing, our piano playing, our teaching, our uh, amount of money you got in the bank, the strength you have, the beauty you have. None of that. Standing before God is what Christ did. It removes all pride. And it should also remove the need for others to constantly lift us and pick us up. And if we're that way, we become, we become, um, when I was in basic training, Brother Groves, did they do this with you? Did you guys do the, the log training? I didn't do it either. But... This brother told me that they had the log training. They had a squad of men, and they had this log on one shoulder. And they all have to go up, and they lift it up. And then the left side, and they go up, and to the right side. And you got six or seven or eight men, and they're all going up and down. And if you are not 
if you are not uh, honorable, you could be in the middle and not be pulling your load. Just putting your hands on it. Man, I don't know why this is hard. Other, other guys in front of you are pushing. Oh, they're dying, right? Trying to get the, the log up and down. And you're just like, yeah, let's do this all day long, man. Because you're not pushing. You're just, your hands are just riding the log. Well, when we are what Christ wants us to be, and we understand where we are, and we're not, we're not trying to suck up all the energy about us, we're actually lifting up Christ, Amen then we are contributing. But if it's all about us, we're sucking up the energy. Man, we can't be that way. Now, a brand new person might need to come and understand that, that they need to change. So that message comes to them. When we come to church, then it's not all about me. It's not all about you. It's, not all, it's about Jesus. Going forward. Above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first. The offerings weren't good enough. He took them away. They, they are not going to suffice. They are not going to get the job done. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, there's that word that we told you at the beginning was going to come back, that phrase, once for all. Old Testament, they had to offer sacrifices year after year after year after year. Sacrifice was never good enough. It was never perfected. It was continual. It was forever. But Jesus offered himself one time. And that one time, matter of fact, look at this. Every priest, what does it say? I gave you a hint. What does it say? Every priest standeth. <laughs> so I don't know. I can't read. Anyhow. <laughs> uh, every priest standeth. Double hint, right? Highlighted, if you can see it. Anyhow. Every priest standeth. In the Old Testament, this is interesting. There were furniture in the, uh, the temple, there was a table for showbread. There was an altar. There was a, a, a light. There were furnishings in there. Do you know what there wasn't? A chair. There wasn't a stool for the priest. Matter of fact, that was to indicate that his job was never done. He had to constantly offer sacrifices. His job was never done. So... Every priest, what? Standeth. Uh, standeth, right? Now look at this. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, what did he do? He sat down. Why? Because his job was done. His job was done. I offered myself. I completed it. It was a perfect person offering the perfect sacrifice to perfect some imperfect people. Perfect person offering the perfect sacrifice to perfect us imperfect people. Amen? Amen. That's good stuff. So, going back to verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified. Sanctified means to be made holy. On an ongoing basis. So there is 
a sanctification that happens when you get saved. God saves us. He pulls us out of the sin. He pulls us out of the world. He cleans us. But then there is a sanctification process that never ends. And that we are constantly getting, drawing closer to God. And I've, I've used this for 35 years now. Because I heard it when I was a brand new Christian. This brother testified. It just stuck with me. And he said, God is like that light. And we're out here. And we get saved. He said, but every day we get closer to the light. And the light shines brighter on us. And the brighter it shines on us, the more imperfections we see. And the more lint we can pull off our garments. And the more wrinkles we can press out. And the more spots we can clean up. Because I'm getting closer. So I'm sanctified. Every day as I walk with God, I'm drawing closer to him. I'm sanctified. You ought to be closer to God today than you were a year ago or two years or five years ago. And if not, then you have to ask the question, well, why not? Now, God is the one that's working in us. But we can resist that work, can't we? He can fold your arms and say, I refuse to be holy. And, and, you know, that God is, he's going to let you do what you want to do. He is a perfect gentleman. He won't force you. But as long as we work with God, he continues to make us clean and holy and pure. He gets us closer and closer and closer. Remember that affirmation we used? I'm getting closer to Jesus every day. I like that. Because it reminds me if I'm getting closer to Jesus, I should hear his whisper. Amen? If I'm getting closer to Jesus, I should be more, more tender to the gentlest tug of the Holy Ghost. I'm sanctified through the offering of Jesus Christ once for all. Christ made a once for all sacrifice. He will not die again for our sin. He died rose again, paid the price for our sin, and gave the perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect us imperfect people. Look at this. He sat down at the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. And again, I want to kind of emphasize here that Old Testament, New Testament, Sometimes people think, well, it was New Testament where faith really got introduced to us. That's not true. Faith was in the Old Testament, okay? Uh, they had to believe that the blood, what God said, was actually going to cover their sins for a year. Way back in Hosea, the just shall live by faith. So that was a New Testament quotation taken way back from the Old Testament. Matter of fact, um, I think I'm going to get to it. Where are we at? I got one minute. Jesus was expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Verse 14, for by one offering, once for all, one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now, I told you there is a sanctification when we get saved. I get saved, God cleanses me, takes me out of sin, takes me out of the sinning business. I am in his, I am in his family. I'm a child of of the king. That's the instant sanctification. But progressive sanctification is as I continue to grow in him, 
then he continues to show me areas that I can improve upon. One offering perfected me in instant sanctification, but I am sanctified as I go forward with him in a relationship with him. Wherefore, the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. Where was the law for Moses? Written on the two tablets, right? When Moses came down and saw the people, he got frustrated and broke the tablets. Reminds me of uh, our neighbor. This is years ago. We had a neighbor. They had four kids. And the little girl came over and was playing with uh, William and got frustrated with William and took my iPad, my, my tablet, and broke it over his head. <laughs> Got to watch out for them ladies, Will. Amen. <laughs> Make sure you get one. It's not going to break the tablets on you. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> and they didn't even, and I'll, I'll let it go. I got This may get back to them one day, so I'll, I'll be nice. All right. So God's saying, I'm going to write it in their heart. Not something external that can be broken, but something internal that God will remind them. So that's why sometimes we were in San Jose, California. This girl had gotten saved. She was married to this dude. He wasn't saved yet. She would do her best to get him to church. And she said, Pastor, last night he wanted me to sit down and watch a movie with him. Not, I'm not talking about pornography or anything like that. Just, you know, a Holly weird movie. And uh, I agreed just because I was trying to get him to come to church this morning. But she said, I felt so dirty. I felt so dirty. Now, that wasn't me telling her not to, re- not to watch it. That wasn't uh, some external law dictating to her. When God gets in us, he begins to change us. We don't like some of the things we used to like. We want to be different. We don't listen to the same music. Man, if you listen to the same music... You got to understand, some of this, I've been talking about it a little bit, but you, you really got to understand, some of this uh, music and, and in the media and in the, 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 the society today, it's, it is inspired by demons. It is inspired by the devil. And I think even, what is it, is it uh, Beyonce that claimed that she went over there to Haiti and got inspired by some... Uh, somebody the fierce devil and, and all this stuff. And I think it was Jay-Z that got up there and he was singing, open up one of his conferences and giving praise to the devil. I mean, all this stuff, it's just, it, it's just mind-blowing. And then it, it's mind-blowing that it's in our world, but it's even more mind-blowing that Christians would give their money to that junk and listen to that junk. Anyhow, because when you get saved... You don't want to listen to that. When you get saved, that that doesn't appeal to you anymore. When you get saved, there's nothing like listening to some gospel music that just makes you think about Jesus, makes you remember that God's forgiven you, that just wraps you in in his arms of love and you're encouraged and you're blessed. 
you listen to some country western music and you feel like going to killing yourself because your best friend ran off with your dog and your girlfriend left with your friend and all this stuff and you just want to cry in your beer. That's what country music does. Listen to a bunch of rock and heavy metal. Have you want to go out there and bang your head and beat up somebody? Listen to a bunch of R&B. Have you want to go out and have sex with whoever has two legs? Amen. There's a spirit behind all that. And that's why God says, come out from that. He said, making melody in your heart with spiritual songs, with psalms and hymns, spirits, things that make you think about Jesus, things that, that lift you up. Shouldn't be listening to that garbage that's out there promoting the devil, promoting ungodliness, promoting fornication, promoting drunkenness, I mean, uh, uh, dishonoring God. There will be a day that we have to give an account. My time is up. Uh, let me see if I can find a good stopping place. I will put my laws into their hearts and their minds while I write them. Here it is. And their sins and iniquity, iniquities will I remember no more. Old Testament, what happened? Every year there was a remembrance. New Testament, new covenant. Under Christ, he said, I'm not going to remember them anymore. I will, will I remember no more. Thank God. So that when I confess my sins in honesty and sincerity to God and the blood of Christ washes me, I don't have to bring them up anymore. I can trust and have faith. God has forgiven me. If the devil or my own weak conscience or somebody else tries to reassert those sins and that guilt to me, I can resist that. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Amen? Amen. I can resist that and not allow it to reassert itself upon me. My time is up. i got to stop. Let us pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the new covenant in Christ. Thank you for bringing us to a place that we can confess, we can bring our sins to you, and that you can wash them in the blood of Christ and make us justified, just as if I'd never sinned, clean and pure. Thank you that my standing, my self-worth, it's not based upon what others think of me. It's based upon what you say I am. And you say I'm a child of God. And you say I'm forgiven. And you say I'm your son. And therefore, God, I'm not clingy. I'm not needing the world to affirm me. Because you've already said I am your child. I am your son. I'm born again. I am in your family. And God, I thank you for that. I pray that you would help each Christian, those who may be dealing with pride, those who may be dealing with the backwards form of pride and, and self-condemnation and discouragement. Lord, I pray that you would lift them. Let them see who they are in you. And God, we give you thanks. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you is our prayer. We will see you Thursday morning if you're available, 11 o'clock. We have prayer meeting here. Yes. And then... Downstairs, there is a cake to celebrate Old Man Douglas. He turned 
62 years old. Now the world knows. So come have a piece of cake. Let's sing happy birthday to him and let him know he's loved. He is loved. We appreciate Brother Douglas. Hey, God bless you. You're dismissed. We'll see you downstairs in the church at 730 Thursday night. You're dismissed.